0: Um, You had a good time? Good. (laughs) Good. Excellent. Good, let me pray. And this is just not that next religious thing that we do before every time we preach. Let's really pray and believe what we're saying. (laughs) Let's really ask him, what if he came right now? For real. Father, we come before you right now in the name of your son. Father, we join our hearts and our spirits before your throne. Oh, God, you are seated upon a throne. Oh, you're glorious, God. Jasper, sardius, God, an emerald rainbow surrounding you. You are the father of lights. The father of glory. Our father in heaven. Father, we bless your name. And, Father, we ask you to send the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Father, we ask you to give us revelation. Give us wisdom on how we ought to live in such a time as this. Father, I ask you that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Open up our eyes. Open up our ears, God. Release might. Release might into our spirits, God. I ask you to raise up, God, a real generation, an authentic generation. God, we just ask you right now, we put our hope in you, God. Not mere words, God, but power. Oh, God, flesh and blood cannot reveal these things. Only my Father who's in heaven. We ask you, Father, reveal the Son. Father, reveal the Son. By the Spirit, take weak, broken words from a weak and broken life and a bunch of weak and broken people. Take words, God. And let it be like arrows, God. Let it be like arrows that divide soul from spirit, that, lays, that divides joint from marrow, that lays everything bare. God, release light in the name of Jesus. Father, we ask you to open the heavens over this house. We ask you to open the heavens in the name of Jesus. We ask you to open the heavens in the name of Jesus. You said you shall see the heavens opened, angels of God descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. Oh, God, we say, Lord, release the angels. Glorify Jesus. Magnify Jesus, God. Oh, God, let your word be like a hammer. Let your word be like a fire, God. Let your word, God, consume us. Let your word empower us. Let your word, God, break the power of delusion and deception. And bring us into the light as you are in the light, Jesus. We ask you to come right now, God. We ask you to awaken a revival. A revival spirit. Let it begin in me, God. Send the fire, we pray right now. Send the fire. Send the fire, God. Send the fire, God. We cry for fire. There's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to untie. We say, send the fire in the name of Jesus. Jesus baptized us with fire. We cry out for it for a whole generation, God. Set us on fire, God. Amen. Amen
1: good. Live your life in me. Won't you come?
0: That's because I preached earlier. I couldn't sing that note. Um, Good. Had a good time this afternoon, and I'd encourage you to to get all all of the teachings, everything, because we're building something. It's so tough coming in with just one punch or a couple of punches, because... You know, I so have the heart to build and to, and to bring you guys forth. And I know Duane does too. I encourage you to get all the CDs and listen to them as we're building on this issue. And I believe the Lord is really, as I said this afternoon, really wanting to deposit uh, uh, the revelation of prayer, the, the place of prayer, and who we are before. The disciples asked Jesus one question. They saw all his miracles. They saw all of his, they saw his healings. They saw, heck, they witnessed the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest message ever. They saw everything that Jesus did, and somewhere, and that was by revelation by itself, but they said, we sum it all up to one reality. Teach us to pray. We understand that if we learn this art called prayer, if we learn this relationship that you have with the Father, if we learn this, then the messages will come forth, the demons will leave, healings will break out, everything will fall and take its course if you teach us the place of prayer. That is the central cry of the disciples, of every disciple of every generation, is instruct us in the art of intercession. Instruct us in the art of communion, of fellowshipping with God. What does it mean? That's our central cry. That's, our, that's the central cry of any disciple. I want to share my testimony. I got saved radically because I am desperate for revival. I, apparently, Dwayne talked about it some last night. I am desperate for revival. I'm not just talking about something that we put on the calendar and these are the dates for the revival. We have the, the, uh, the anointed speaker come in and do a couple of things. I'm talking about God breaking in and touching regions. Okay? I'm talking about a corporate. I'm talking about like a, a, a mile radius, 50 mile radius of an awe of God. I'm talking about where the presence of God is thick in a whole region to where conviction is, rel- is active everywhere. And I want to tell you this is the testimony of Scripture. This is the testimony of history. And I'm telling you those are but mere shadows compared to what God is going to give the last generation. Let me say that again. The outpourings in Scripture, the outpourings in modern day history are minuscule, minuscule compared to what God is going to give the last generation, which I believe that we're in. I believe that we are living in the generation that the prophets of old foretold. I believe we're living in the hours that Jeremiah, that Isaiah, that Ezekiel, that Daniel looked into. The days to when God would break out with great glory. God would send glory in the great harvest. This gospel would be preached in all the nations. And this would be the same hour and this would be the same generation to where the greatest judgment ever would be released in the nations of the earth. That the manifestation and the revelation of God would break out on a, whole, on, a, on a whole global scene like never before. Preparing the earth for the second return of Jesus. And I'm believing it's growing more and more and more in my heart. That we are living in the generation to where we're literally going to see. Let me make it clear. Literally going to see that Jewish man split a literal sky on a literal horse with literal flaming fire. And taking his rule and his reign. He's defeating all of his enemies. And him taking his rule and his reign from Jerusalem. And ruling for a thousand years. This is the real generation that I believe with all of my heart. That, we are, that is growing in me and growing in me. That we are living in that generation. Where that Jewish man will split the sky. Take vengeance upon all the enemies of God. And establish his rule and reign. All Israel will be saved and be a light to the Gentiles forever. This is a powerful generation. <laughs> can you? you can you even fathom what I just said? Do I even fathom what I just said? No. It's okay. He's gonna. He's gonna work with this. So anyway, again, like I said, I, I'm believing that, that what Dwayne talked about last night and what we're talking about tonight is the issue of this revival. I'm a child of revival. I believe that what the Lord's done in my life is the first fruits of what God is getting ready to do on a wholesale, on a wide scale, in a massive way. I have this testimony on my CD, The Days of Noah, because I believe I want to get it into the hands of mothers, grandparents, brothers and sisters, cousins, whatever, that are contending for those that are out there right now. Because I believe that the next day, apostles and prophets are right now sticking needles in their veins right now smoking crack, right now in some street corner. I'm telling you the next generation of apostles and prophets, we have no idea what God's getting ready to do. (laughs) I love it. Don't you love the ways of God? It just comes and offends us all. (laughs) He goes, you're not offended that I give them this, are you? But Lord, look at all the labor I've done for you. He goes, isn't it nice? I grew up in a Christian family in northwest Arkansas. Grew up in a family that loved God and feared God. And uh, it was just known in our little town in, in, in northwest Arkansas, we just went to church. But, I, you know, I never had any of my own uh, uh, convictions. You know, you just go to church on Sunday like you go to basketball practice on Tuesday. It's just what you do. You don't know why you do it. You just do it. That was kind of my way throughout my first 13 years of life. And kind of made good grades, good athlete. But when 13 years old come around and the temptations... Uh, the drugs, the sex, the rap came my way. Like I said, it was rap in my case. Um, it wasn't rock and roll. Anyway, when it came my way, I went down that path throughout my high school years. Making good grades is what defines success. Isn't that right, boys and girls? As long as you make good grades, that's all that matters. So it doesn't matter if you do anything else you want to do but make good grades. So that was my way through high school. And then after my a high school year, I went off to college. And it began to increase, making good grades, but still beginning to party more. After the first year, my parents come to see me. They go, Corey, you look horrible. Come home with us for the summer. You've lost 40 pounds. You just look horrible. Come home. During that first summer, I got my first DWI, and I couldn't afford to go back to college. So I I got a house with my best friend living in the area, and we went to a community college there. Now, by this time, my my best friend had been homeschooled till ninth grade. And once he hit the public school scene, he just went ballistic in rebellion. I'm talking about a kid who grew up in... A house. He had one of those moms who know how to pray. <laughs> you know, up at three a.m. with the with the blanket over him, just praying in tongues. That's all they ever do, anointing everything with oil. <laughs> Who's got some moms like that? <laughs> I love them. God bless them. That was his mom, and he just broke out in rebellion when he hit ninth grade, and so and now I had moved back home and we got gotten a place and while I was gone, he had made the major connection and by this time, he had begun to make a good connection with methamphetamines, really starting, he had a real good connection with that so that's what we did uh, as far as staying up four, five, six days a week. When I say staying up, I say not eating, drinking, not doing anything, just hanging out um, and it culminated on November, uh, November of 96 so it's almost been about uh, whatever the difference is between this and that, about nine years. <laughs> I'm a preacher, not a mathematician, man. I have an elementary degree, though. That's my degree. Anyway. So anyway. Um, yeah, November of 96, Zach begins to weird out. We'd come out. We'd been out about four or five days. And I don't know if you ever had a friend that went out there and didn't come back for the show. But he went out there and didn't come back for the show. He For the next four months, it was literal days like this. He wouldn't say nothing. he just looked at us like this. I mean, he wouldn't say nothing to us, just looking at us, and he'd just sneak around corners, doing crazy stuff, taking us into gas stations, I'd go in to get smokes, I'd come back out, and he's gone, <laughs> and I'd see him pull up on the other side of the, the, of the gas station, just kind of creeping up on it like that, looking at him, i go, dude, what is wrong with you, man, just chill out, I don't know, I don't know what happened to him, and then whenever he would, he'd he just sit there with some kind of sinister look on his face, like, he's just weird. We said he's worshiping the devil. Why can't he just have a good time like us? You know, we're the laid back ones. Anyway, we got our heads on straight. So anyway, that culminated till February 1st, 1997, which is my birthday. And I had been up in Fayetteville, uh, at the university partying for a while. And I, on the way down that morning, cause I'd been up about four or five days, I'd almost had a heart attack due to the drugs, had a sovereign encounter with the Lord. The Lord just stopped the whole situation that was going on. I don't want to go into that. So that happens, and I pull up into his driveway. You know, another day to hang out with Zach, and I pull up in his driveway. He has five younger brothers and sisters out there in the front yard. And Zach comes storming out of the house. His hair's all whacked out, and his eyes are all big. And he just comes out screaming, I mean, this is a guy. I mean, this just happened with this heart attack situation. Okay, I'm just recouping from that. I pull up into his house, and out of the front door comes Zach, full-on sprint running at me. And I mean, I don't even know what he's going to say. He just comes sprinting out of the house and he's screaming, Corey, it's heaven or hell. Corey, it's heaven or hell. What do you want? What do you want? You've got to make a decision right now. I mean, talk about friendship evangelism. He <laughs> 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 went right for the gauntlet. It worked. <laughs> anyway, so he's screaming, running right in my face, screaming it. You've got to make a decision right now. It's heaven or hell. He's all whacked out. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? He says you got to make a decision right now. Right now. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm out of here. So I got my other buddy. We left. And it was known Zach got saved. He had known the Lord as a child. And then his mama got a hold of him and brought him through a powerful three-day deliverance and prayed him through. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Matter of fact, she was at a T.D. Jakes conference the week before. And he says, you come up here and get your children. <laughs> so she came up there and prayed through. And the Lord told her she got the breakthrough. And uh, <laughs> there it is. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, that's what happens, and Zach gets saved, and I'm angry. I mean, of all the things you're going to do with your life, why would you get saved? I mean, for real, what are you getting saved from? Christianity to me was a bunch of boring rules. You just do things to alleviate your conscience. You pay tithes. You be good to your neighbor, but everybody knows that you enjoy that Tuesday night sitcom more than you do the presence of the Lord. Everybody knows it. <laughs> Let's not kid around. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, that kind of that was I was angry. Okay, I was just angry. I'm like, you're, you're you're stupid. I put up with you for these four months, and you go get saved. I was really angry. I had really contemplated suicide for the first time in my life. It was just really a horrible time. I was so upset. And two weeks later, he shows up at college, and he says, "Let me take you to lunch and share with you everything that was going on with me for those four months." I said, "Well, you're paying." <laughs> so he takes me to lunch. <laughs> it's just, I'm keeping y'all laughing because it's about to get intense in a second, so I'm kind of staying alive. Just toying and whack, whack. So, anyway, um, he takes me to lunch. He says, Corey, I'm going to share with you everything that was going on with me for those four months. He says, I'll be honest with you, as anything in the world, he says, everything for those four months were opened up to me. The whole spirit realm was opened up to me. He goes, I was seeing angels, I was seeing demons. And I was seeing what was controlling people. And I could see what was controlling you, Corey. And it was flipping me out. <laughs> he goes, I couldn't handle it. I was scared to death. I was aware of this seed within me. And how everybody, including you, Corey, was trying to steal this seed. He says, I don't know how to explain it. And he goes, and it culminated on the very last night. And he shared the night with it. We'd been shut up in a little room. Probably no bigger than this little stage. <laughs> just looking at each other like a bunch of dorks. And and anyway, he says, in the, he says we're set in that room. He says, and the voice of the Lord just broke in. The voice of the Lord broke in, and, the, and he heard the voice of the Lord. It wasn't an evangelist with a track at the door. No, the voice of the Lord broke in right to a jacked-up party, a bunch of meth heads. The Lord breaks in, and the Lord says, Satan is raising up an army, but I'm raising up an army too, and I'm calling you out tonight, Zach. The Lord just speaks it just like that to him. He says, and I want you to go call your friends out. He says, and I want to do something. So Zach's telling me this over lunch, and he says, "And Corey, it's time now to give your life to the Lord because you better make a decision now, or it's going to get worse for you." I look him right in the face. I say, "Shut up and take me back to school. I don't want to hear your little stories." I was upset. I was hard. So he's taking me back to school, and by this time I had two DWIs. My license was suspended for sixteen months. He pulled him back down the road, and he pulls into a uh, the Church of Christ parking lot, which is the college parking lot on our campus. And right before I get out of the van, I'm getting ready to get out. All of a sudden, right before, all of a sudden, he doesn't say a word to me. I'm getting ready to get out. All of a sudden, something comes in the van. That something was the Holy Spirit. I not even know what it was. All I began, I just probably said, what is this? Probably cussing. What is this? And all of a sudden, I go to a violent shaking like a seizure. I go into a seizure-like activity. I had a blue shirt on, and I watched it drench right up with sweat. I watched the pores of my skin begin to flow with sweat. And I'm in this van just shaking. I mean, it was craziness craziness. And I'm just sitting there. I didn't know what was going on. Everybody asked me they go, Corey, what are you thinking in a moment like that? When you, when you're shaking and everything's sweating in the van, what are you thinking? I don't know. Well, this is what I was thinking. (laughs) I really, I really did have a one clear, uh, uh, idea, one clear thing running through my head. I really began to feel the value of one soul before the throne of heaven. I was aware of a cosmic unseen battle that was going on for my soul. I was so in touch with that. It was opened up to me. I go, oh, my goodness, there's a real battle for my life. It blew me away, which I believe is the battle for every soul. Zach pulls in the back of the parking lot, and he begins to pray and pray and pray. And after a little bit, he goes, in the name of Jesus, he goes right forward. He goes, in the name of Jesus, I bind the Antichrist spirit. He went right for it. Right when he said that, right? When he says, I bind that spirit, right when he did it, the spirit manifested and it began to choke me. I couldn't breathe. I'm like, what is going on? I go from a shaking and now I'm choking. I don't know what's going on. And at that moment I said, okay, I give up all my rights. All my little bargainings with God are over. I knew I need to get out the name Jesus. So I go to say it easy enough, and I go to say it, and I went, Jeez, Jeez. And every time I tried to say it, the spirit got tighter, the spirit began to constrict tighter. I tried it five or six times. Zach's in my ear screaming, say it, say it. I am trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Just let me do it. Help me. I tried about five, six, seven times. It seemed like forever. It's probably just a minute or two. Till finally, I just, I just seemed like it stopped for a little bit. And I just went, Jesus, like that. And the hole just broke right off of me. It was like in that moment, someone came and breathed right into my mouth. Zach jumps out of the van dancing. You know, glory to God. <laughs> I mean, two weeks out the gate, you know, man. He's moving in deliverance. Hey Amen. They're licensed, man. Let's go for it. Anyway, I kept saying, I've got air. I've got air. i got air. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice coming in my mind saying, now, get down on your face and give me your life. You're mine. Get down on your face and give me your life. You're mine. And I'm just sitting there going, who are you, Lord? I don't even know what's going on. I get out of it. I go, Jesus Christ. In the middle of that college parking lot, I go, Jesus Christ, I give you my life. I'm yours. And in that moment, one encounter with the Lord, February 18, 1997, one encounter with the raw presence of God, I was sticking needles in my veins during up to that day, smoke a bag a day, drink a drink a case a day. Did God knows what throughout my youth years and in one encounter with the presence of the Lord, I was completely set free. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. God. Praise the Lord. But I won't even give us a bigger vision than that. Because we've all heard the drug story. We say, isn't that cool for them? Well, I want to tell you, God wants to do something even bigger than that. Because within a month, I had a little drug ring of friends. And within a month, all four of us had encounters like that one are bigger in their explosions. And I'm telling you, one of my good friends had been dealing heavy drugs since ninth grade. And he's driving up in the hills of northwest Arkansas. And there ain't nothing up there. Driving up in the hills, nobody knocking on his door at midnight. He's driving up in the hills, getting ready to do a drug deal. And the fear of the Lord just fills the car. He just starts chunking drugs out of the car. Foolish. <laughs> We're talking about that's just foolishness. I mean, he's going to get in trouble for this. He's chunking drugs outside the car, and he stands on top of a mountain all night. This is a guy who knows nothing of the language of the church, who knows nothing of nothing. And he comes back to me after this night. He says, Corey, this is all that I know is that I stood on top of a mountain all night, and I could feel. I knew that God was in the wind because it was blowing across me all night. I kept hearing two phrases all night. And Tell me what these phrases are about. He kept hearing it over and over. again. He goes, there's a coming army. There's a coming revival. There's a coming army. There's a coming revival. Kept hearing over and over and over. He goes, What does this mean? I go, Let me talk to you. This is some kid who knows nothing of the language of the church, and God speaks it by his spirit into this kid who knows nothing of the language of the church. I led my little brother to the Lord, who was the student council president. And I'm telling you, he went nuts. And I'm telling you, out of a town, out of a high school, very small town, 4,000, high school of 400, we saw in the next six months 150 to 200 out of the high school radically saved, delivered, and healed. God broke it. I mean, per capita, that is powerful. Next six months of our salvation salvation was five meetings a week till three in the morning. God was breaking in everywhere. God broke in everywhere. I was so addicted to the presence of the Lord. We never slept much. We didn't eat much. God was everywhere. I preached everywhere. I talk anywhere. Everybody says, what was it like? I said, you know what? God's everywhere. God's at the gas station. God, God's, and God in his activity will break in any time. You just never know what he'll do. And, you know, six months came and went, and everybody says, well, man got their hand on this. And, man, get." And you know, the Lord's made it so clear to me. He goes, Corey, even as as it was going on, I was pained over it because as we began to get set back into the same modes. But God made it so clear to me in that day. He says, Corey, I don't want you to get so hung up about this little visitation. He says, because I am wanting to wound you, and I'm wanting to wound a whole generation that this is not about a nice little visitation anymore. But I am wanting to prepare a generation for habitation. I am wanting to begin to prepare a generation that would be consecrated wholly unto the Lord for my coming and my abiding with them. That's what he's after. I'm telling you, I'm grateful to God for the nice visitations he's given us. I long for outpourings of the Spirit, but I am desperate for an individual and corporate expression of Christ. I'm desperate for God to come and for God to stay. How does... Now, that's what I'm desperate for because we all want to see, well, God, we just want you to come and make this a little bit more lively of a meeting. No, God wants a people. God wants a people that can agree with him, that he would not strive with and that he could rest. God is looking for a resting place. God is looking for a resting place. I want to tell you, God is looking for a resting place. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. Where is the place that you will build for me? Psalm 132, Lord, remember David, all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord, vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I won't go to the sleep of my chamber of my house. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. God's looking for a generation that would be consecrated body, soul and spirit, and that would beckon him to come and to stay. I'm longing for habitation. I'm longing for 50 mile regions to be saturated with conviction and raw power of God. That's the only thing that's going to save this city. None of our best outworkings, none of our best ideas, none of our best ingenuities, not even our best. Let's, let's, let's cross boundaries and get with this denomination, and get with that. Let's see how big of a thing. At the end of the day, unless the Lord does this thing, unless the Lord sends his spirit, we're a bunch of dry wood. It's a bunch of dry wood and there's nothing until he comes. I'm telling you the great need for the church in Austin. The church, primarily, it begins with us, is we need to get, we need to get totally set apart to the Lord because he wants, a, he wants a dwelling place. That is the primary need that will do more to impact Austin than a thousand other ideas that we are running around, spending all of our time, having all of our little meetings, and at the end of the day, nothing is happening. We're spinning ourselves and we're just turning our wheels in the dirt. we got lots of meetings. we got lots of our schedules full. But at the end of the day, nothing's really happening. And God's saying, that's because I'm looking for a people that would seek my presence above everything. And that would make this the central cry. Because until God comes, nothing will happen. Not you and your best personality. Nor you and your great charisma. Nor you and your money. Nor anything that we have. God is looking for a people that would cast themselves upon the mercy of God saying, God, send revival, send an awakening, send an awakening that takes the raw presence of God and turns the most obstinate, the most stubborn, the most atheistic heart, and it directs it into God. It directs it into God. I tell you that there is an anointing stronger than witchcraft, there's an anointing stronger than new age. There's, a, there's an anointing stronger than addiction. There's an anointing stronger than bored religion. It's called the power from on high. And I'm telling you, if we will covet this and we will seek this above everything else, God will give it to us in due time. But we don't believe this. We believe that, that us in our strength, us in our might, and us in our resources can do more for God. And God says, I haven't asked you to do anything. I've asked you to humble yourself before the Lord. I've asked you to go low and to seek my presence. I'm desperate for this. I am becoming one thing. We need the raw presence of God. Generation doesn't need my persuasions or my neat way to reach anybody. I ain't going to reach the skateboarders or nobody. They need God. I need God. And I'm desperate that God's going to give this. I'm serious. I'm so jealous for regions to be impacted. Because I'm telling you, as I said a while ago, we are moving into a great hour of judgment. And God is wanting to release one great mercy act upon the whole earth. God is wanting to release one great mercy act upon cities. And that God would send a revival upon cities. I love to read the stories. I imagine Dwayne talked about Finney last night. As he walks into that cotton gin and he at a height. In, in eight weeks in upstate New York, 500,000 saved. 500,000 saved in eight weeks. His famous story. He walks into a cotton gin and Finney just doesn't say a word. He just looks at this young girl working on a cotton mill, on a cotton gin. He doesn't say a word to her, just looks at her. And within a few seconds, she just begins to break down crying. He doesn't say anything to her. And he says that within a few minutes, there's about 200 around him and, and they're all weeping and crying out to God for mercy. And he still hadn't said a word. Well, the manager says, oh, we got to do something about this. So he shuts down the plant and he gets everybody around them. The whole plant is weeping and crying out to God. And he says, and it was then that I began to preach. Guys, I'm telling you, I love to read the stories of the Hebrides revival, the the late, late 1940s and early 50s. A guy by the name of Duncan Campbell, God used him so powerfully on this island. His famous, I love to hear this story about, it's three in the morning, he's on this island where God moved. It's three in the morning and the police chief shows up at his door. Okay? And this is his diary. He says, so the police chief comes to him and says, you've got to come to the police station. Something's going on, and I think we need your help. So this is his diary. He's walking down the street to the police station. He's walking to the street, and he says, as I'm looking to my left and as I'm looking to my right, I'm seeing the women and the children out of their houses, all the men out of their houses, and they're leaning over hay bales, and they're crying, and they're screaming out to God. Three in the morning, just walking, just going to the police station, Okay? He gets to the police station. The place is just packed with people. And he asks one guy, he goes, what is going on? He goes, I don't know what is going on. All that I know is that all of a sudden I was aware of everything that I've ever done wrong. And I knew that the only thing that I could do was turn myself into the cops. What does this mean? He goes, let me tell you what it means. (laughs) It's called a spirit of conviction. It's at John 16, I would send the Spirit. He will convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He will convict you. When he is sent, this is what he'll do. And we've summed up, well, he was sent 2,000 years ago. Yes, a mighty release, but I want to tell you that is, that is but the beginning of the last day's reality. That was the beginning. That was the New Testament model of how the church ought to operate in the Pentecost. When God sent his spirit on Acts 2, what God was giving us more than anything was there. He's saying, I am giving you the New Testament model of evangelism. I'm giving you the New Testament model of impact. I'm giving you the New Testament model of how to furtherance the gospel. And this is it. Tarry together and tarry for the promise from on high. Tarry for the promise from on high. Wait. Prioritize it. Prioritize it above everything else. Seek my spirit because when he comes, he convicts. When he comes, he directs hearts. When he comes, he declares things that which are to come. The issue is when he comes. We have just assumed and presumed, well, he's in our midst. Glory to God. We're having a revival. Are you in revival? Am I in revival? When's the last time you looked at somebody, they start crying? Other than they were bitter at you and angry at you. (laughs) Oh, no, it's him again. I'm serious. I'm so desperate for a real, raw anointing. I'm raw anointing. On the youth, the young adults, I'm talking about where real power breaks out. I'm not talking about these sugar highs, we get all the smoke and all the things going. Like I said this afternoon, I love smoke. I'm a smoke guy. But guys, we get all this stuff going, but guys, what would it look like if God really showed up? He really wants to show up. But I'm telling you right now, it'd kill us all. We're not ready, we're not set apart. That's why God wants to sanctify and set a people apart: body, soul, and spirit. He's looking for a people. Body, soul, and spirit. The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the earth. God is looking for a place to dwell. See, it changes everything on us. Because we say, glory to God, we want revival. Hallelujah. Send a revival. God, see, this is the great thing that I love about God. I love the ways of God. This is the thing God says. I'll send revival. He goes, guess what? He goes, you can't do my part. I'm going to send revival. But guess what? I won't do your part. Don't you love God and that He won't do our part and we can't do His part? His part is the sending of the Spirit. Our part is the gathering together and the seeking after the raw presence of God together. That is our part. Most of us have a wrong view of sovereignty. Well, we think, well, God just said these things. He's just going to do it. We just automatically think, well, God said these things. He's going to do it. As, uh, as my brother was just prophesying, it's because they're, they're agreeing with God But outside of a people in agreement with God, God, he's saying that God's going to send revival to UT. God will not send revival to UT outside of a people that are in agreement with his heart and his will and that agree with him and become the womb for the birthing of that reality into manifestation. It will not happen. It will not happen at UT. It will not happen in Austin. It will not happen in Kansas City. It will not happen anywhere. God does nothing. Outside of bringing human beings into his heart, into fellowship with his heart, and them being the womb for the manifestation of God. I say womb because God wants to impregnate us with the burden of the Lord and us to tarry with him and us to wrestle and us to carry the tensions and carry it and wrestle through fastings and prayers and through the long seasons, the dry seasons, the horrible seasons, when he hasn't come, when he hasn't broken in. And we say, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's what God's looking for. And we've got to get a generation that says, come hell or high water, I'm going to lock into this thing and I'm going to prioritize my life for three to four to five hours a day for the next 60 years of my life. I'm going to have revival in my soul and in this generation. God's going to come and God's going to have mercy on those around me. We need God because I'm telling you, there's coming a great wave of delusion across this nation. It has begun. The seeds of apostasy are already in this nation. It won't just end up on that day. We, we think we're going to be one way tomorrow, but you don't understand that the things that we do today directly affect tomorrow. And I'm telling you, the seeds of apostasy are growing in the church of this nation. And I'm telling you, we're primed for a great falling away. We're primed for it. Outside God releasing His Spirit, outside God pouring out His Spirit and giving us a raw encounter with the living God, we are in trouble. I want to make it clear to you that is our only hope. That is our only hope is that God would send revival. I, I, I'm crying out for it. Unless God does something, we're in trouble. I'm confident he's going to do it, but he's confident I'm going to do it. <laughs> Don't you love that? That he's given you a glory. He's given you a dignity. That he didn't just create a bunch of robots saying, I'm going to send revival. Yes, Lord. Good, God's going to do it. God says, "Huh? uh you're worth way too much more than that. You were formed in my image. You were made in my likeness. And guess what? You get to make choices. You get to make choices that affect time and eternity. What a glorious reality. The image bearers, those made in his image, make choices that affect everything. And God is saying, guess what? Because of the glory of who you are, I'm not going to have robots. I'm not going to have a bunch of people running around waiting for me to do something for them. No, they have a glory, and that is called yoking themselves with my heart for the co-signing of the check, the co-signing of the will of my heart to being released in the earth. God wants a co-signer to this check called the Word of God, the promises in Scripture. God wants a co-signer. What do you mean by co-signer? God will not do it outside of us. (laughs) He won't. Amos three seven surely God does nothing unless He first reveals it to His servants, the prophets. and Daniel nine, you can write it down like i said i 'm not the best let 's walk through the passage. I teach classes, I do that there i don 't like doing it here. Daniel nine Daniel 's reading through the scriptures he 's reading through the book of Jeremiah daniel's in Babylon, the nation. Uh, 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 Jerusalem had been led into captivity 70 years early by Babylon, brought to Babylon. They'd been in captivity 70 years. And Jeremiah and Jeremiah 25 prophesied that you're only going to be there 20, uh, 70 years and then you're coming back to the land. Okay, this is the God of Genesis 1. And he says, You're going to the land for 70 years and then you're coming back. Can that happen? <laughs> Who can stop him? Well, Daniel's reading the books and he realized, Oh my goodness, we're in that generation. It's the time for the manifestation of us going back home. What did Daniel do? Did Daniel start, well, glory to God, we're going home. Glory to God, we're going home. Did he just start little conferences that were going to home conferences? Did he start putting out handouts and talk about the newest way that they were going to go home? What did Daniel do? Daniel had already lived a disciplined lifestyle of prayer and fasting even from the days of his youth. But it says that when he understood by the reading of the books, the number of the years that were specified by the prophet Jeremiah. When he understood. Everybody say when. Okay. When he understood this. It says then he set his face towards the Lord God. Everybody say then. Then. Now say when. Now say then. Then. Okay. There's a when and then there's a then. Okay. Okay. It says when he understood it, that launched him into, now Daniel says, I understand that we will not go back home to Jerusalem outside of a human being yoking themselves with your heart to give birth to the manifestation. Because when Daniel understood it, he says he set his face to the Lord God to make requests by prayer, fasting, and sackcloth. And he cried out to God in repentance. He repented behalf of the whole nation. And God gave birth to it. Another love story that I love, Psalm 132. In verse 14, the Lord says, hey, I want to live in Jerusalem. Who can stop him? Nobody. He can live wherever he wants to, can he? He says, I want to live in Zion. This is my dwelling. This is my resting place. Here I have desired it. This is where I'm going to dwell. Now, this is the thing that blows me away. David, in, in verse 1, says this. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I won't give sleep to my eyes... I won't give slumber to my eyelids. I won't go into the chamber of my house until I find a place for the Lord God, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Isn't that interesting? What did David, what did Daniel understand of the ways of God That saying, what's in your heart will not be manifested outside of a human being, a human company agreeing on earth with food, sleeplessness, agreeing in fasting, agreeing in certain ways, the biblical ways, prayer, fasting, and giving, agreeing with God for the birthing of the purpose of God made manifest into time and to space. It's a glorious reality. The last one that I love to look at is 1 Kings 18. You can just write it down. Elijah shows up on the scene, the King Ahab, horrible apostate nation, Israel, shows up on the scene and says, guess what? There's going to be three and a half years of drought." And then there's going to be three and a half years of rain. Three and a half years of uh, drought come. And then what happened? I guess it was time for the rain, wasn't it? Was it? Was it? (laughs) Yes, it was. Well, what did Elijah do?
1: Glory
0: to God. We got the rain. It's coming. It's coming. Is it around the corner? No, it isn't. What did Elijah do? What did Elijah do? He prayed. King Ahab, he says, come up here. Not only did he pray, he says, he went on top of the mountain. He put his head between his knees. And he says, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. It was in his spirit. The prophetic word was spoken. And he says, however, this reality of the rain coming will not be manifested outside of my agreement, my radical agreement, even before it's manifested. He says to his servant, keep going out there and tell me when it's coming. It ain't here. Keep going. It ain't here. Keep going. Elijah stayed on that place and gave birth to the reign of God. And you know what it says in James? That Elijah had a nature like ours. Meaning that he is the New Testament model. He is the model for all of us of what it looks like when God performs his will. When I'm talking about God's will, the scriptures, the promises, the the, the very nature of God. What he said he'll do, I'm telling you he will do. But he won't do it out with, he will not do it outside of a people who agree. Agree like Elijah did. And James equates Elijah with jacked up people like us. Saying he's a jacked up guy too. Everybody's jacked up. And you know what? Us with God can give birth to the, to the purposes of God. This is what he wants to do in this hour. Do you, do you want this? I mean, I, I don't, I'm not, tonight we're not going to call everybody up. Everybody's going to get rallied up for prayer and get all excited. This is something that I want you to go home and I want you to think about. These kinds of things, youth, because this is serious. I want to press it on you that I don't want you to say yes quickly. I want you to wrestle over the tensions and saying, is this really what I want? Is it okay, my my reality in God? Is it okay, my individual and my corporate reality in God? Is it okay? And if it's not, then I I ask you to wrestle over it. And I ask God, well, what will it look like for my life to agree with what you want to do in Austin? What you want to do in the cities across the earth? Can I agree? What would it look like for me to agree? The first statement right there is is our issue of our time. I want to tell you, we are a generation that is wasting our time. We're wasting our time. And I'm telling you, we will be accountable before the throne about it. 168 hours in a week. Every one of us have 168 hours in every week, right? Nobody has more, nobody has less. You work 50 hours. You sleep 50 hours. Okay, there's 100 hours. What do we got? We got 68 hours left. Okay, let's give you 28 hours just to play. You love Xbox? Go play your Xbox. You mean you can get a good old game going? 28 hours a week. That leaves you 40 hours a week. I think so. Maybe not. Maybe 30. Okay, let's say 30. I told you I'm not a mathematician, I'm a preacher. 30, is it 30? 40, good. I could I could hear all the the, the, the lies saying, hey, it 40, it's like 30. Anyway, 40 hours, you can have a full time job of seeking heaven. Full time job of seeking heaven, of prayer, of meditation, of intercession, of Bible study of joining together, going deep in the word, going deep in commentaries, praying in the spirit, singing and worshiping. You have 40 hours in your week. What am I saying, Corey? What are you saying? I'm saying we're wasting our time and we live with all of these excuses and they're not even real. They're a bunch of mirages. They're not even real. It's a fantasy. It's a fantasy that we're thinking, well, I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time for that. We do what we want to do. You do what you want to do. You spend your time, you spend your money, and you spend your energy where you want to. And God says, of course you can. You are a human. You have choices. The glory of who you are. And it matters forever. I'm not going to make that for you. You've You've been given the dignity of making choices. The way we're spending our time, I'm telling you, God is wanting to raise up a generation that would seek heaven with all they have, that would understand the value of their time. We need God like no other time of history. Because I'm telling you, our nice little skits and our nice little outreaches are not budging this generation. They're not budging them. They're not budging. I heard everything. Heard, I saw every skit, every outreach. And I said, let's do it. Let's do it. But let's do it out of a heart, of a wound. that says, God, i got to have your presence. If that has to be thee, as, as, as my friend here was saying, Justin was saying, that has to be the central wound right there. Is God? We've got to have your presence, God. We've got to have your presence, and from that reality we speak. From that reality we evangelize. From that from that reality we outreach. But if it's not done from that place, then we're in, we're in delusion, thinking we have something when we don't have anything at all. That's our greatest issue in this hour. Jesus says, we are, this is what I've, I've been preaching this message recently, and I, I felt led to go a different place tonight. But I'm preaching about the issue of the days of Noah. In Luke 21, verse 34, Jesus says there's going to be three issues that are going to weigh the heart down at the end of the age. The three issues are carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. He says, for that day, that day being the day of the Lord, the breaking in of the judgments of God, that day will come as a snare upon the whole earth. Then he says this one phrase, Jesus says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be kind of worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. I want to talk about these three weights that will weigh the heart down because I'm telling you right now, I don't want to talk about the carousing is that party spirit that we're living in, even in the church. And the cares of this life are the things of this life that are drowning our souls. We're living to make money so that we can keep up having the things that we have. I myself am guilty. I am wanting to get free from every entanglement and snare. The ones that's just boggling my mind right now, I can't get over, is the issue of drunkenness. I've been studying this word because, as I said earlier, I used to drink a lot. And as I think, as I've been meditating and contemplating the issue of drunkenness, if I would define drunkenness to you in one reality, this is how I would define drunkenness. Here it is. This is a good definition of drunkenness. It's being out of touch with reality. There's a definition for drunkenness. I don't believe that Jesus is only talking to Peter, James, and John about being found at the local pub in that hour. I think that Jesus is primarily talking about you being out of touch with reality, that when truth breaks in, what you've perceived as reality, when you find out that that's not reality, but that's, but that's a mere fantasy, when that clashes and that collides and that hits your soul, that's going to weigh your heart down. It's going to send you into disillusionment because everything that you placed your hope into was found to be but a mirage, was found to be but a fleeting a shadow that came and it went quickly. Everybody knows how the drunk person is at the party. They think everybody loves them, but everybody knows they're a dork. They don't want nothing to do with that person, but they're like thinking, oh, life is great. Life is grand. It can't get any better than this. And they're perceiving reality in this way. They are convinced this is reality. But what they don't know is that, no, this is reality. And you are living your life. You're prioritizing your life, basing it and rooting it in the spirit of this age. And I believe that Jesus is hitting that issue, and I believe that's our greatest enemy in the church, in this nation, is the issue of drunkenness. We are out of touch with reality. We're out of touch with reality of what we truly possess in God. I'm talking about real, raw reality in God. I'm talking about who we truly are before God. We are kings and priests. We are the bride of Christ. But I'm talking about other delusions. We're going to look at it here in a second. And then we, have, we are in a delusion over the hour that we're living in. We have this false thing that everything's going to get back to normal. That everything's going to get back to normal and that we are living in an hour of peace and safety. Nothing could ever touch us. And I'm telling you that we have to fall in love and we have to fall in love with truth. In Revelation 3.17, Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea and he says this. Because you say that you have need of nothing and you're wealthy and you're awesome. He says, but you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold. Jesus does not condemn them for being wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He doesn't ever condemn them for that. What is he condemning? They don't know that they're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's what he's condemning. He's condemning that they're in a delusion over reality. And that makes his heart sick. Because they're putting a confidence in a false reality that is not reality at all. Jesus says, because you say, but you don't know. I'm telling you right now that God is wanting to give us reality about who we, what we truly possess in God. How that could... So characterize our own lives in the state of the church in this nation and in the whole west. That we have need of nothing. We may not say this, but I'm telling you this is not an issue. This is not something that we say at church on Sunday or we say at home group on Wednesday night. But this is something that we live and that we secretly believe in our hearts. And which is the strongest testimony, the way that we spend our lives. The way that we spend our energy. The way that we spend our time and our money and our focuses. That is what declares what we truly believe. There's tons. I've been on this journey of looking throughout the scriptures, of seeing how many times when the prophetic spirit breaks in upon a land, the prophetic spirit comes right to the heart of the issue. And he says, say to those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good and the Lord will not do evil. The Lord won't do anything. Say to those who say in their heart. They ain't going to say it at the home group. They won't say it at the one thing conference. But they'll say it in their hearts. They'll believe it secretly in their hearts. The second one that's been gripping me is Revelation 3.1, the church of Sardis. Think about this. He comes on the scene and he goes, he comes to this revival center. He goes, you know what? They have all the money, all the buildings, all the da-da-da-da-das. Duh, 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 and he says this. You have a name that you're alive. You got more anointing than the Baptist church down the road or the Pentecostal church down the road. You have a name that you're alive. There's a little bit going, there's a little bit popping. You got that new worship leader. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. You don't know that you're dead. That's what he tells them. What an indictment from heaven. Think about us. You live your whole life thinking that you're walking in it. Man, we got it here. We got it going on. And then we find out, we we, we stumble through our life, through our years, and we stand before Jesus. And he says, I love you to death, but you lived in delusion. You really did. So what does Jesus do? Jesus shows up about 40 years early while we're in our youth and in our prime and he speaks to us, giving us the greatest mercy act he could ever give it us. And what is it? It's called truth in the inward parts. He goes, let me give you my assessment now so that you can turn and we can change this whole event here in a second when you stand before me. Every one of us will stand before Jesus. The judgment seat of Christ. And you know what? Jesus cannot tell a lie. He cannot tell a lie, and he cannot be manipulated. He's the most honest man in the whole wide world, and he will look through all of my little giftings and all of my little things, and he'll go right to the heart of the issue. I even buy into that at times. People coming up to me and Corey, you're awesome. It's great. It's the anointing. It's awesome. And I find in seasons in my own heart to where I begin to buy into it. And I don't say it. I don't believe, it. glory to God, I, I just bless God, bless God, bless God. But I find areas in my heart that begin to ascribe and gravitate towards holding on to those things for security in my soul. Laying hold of those things. And I begin to find myself gravitating towards that. And then, you know, what, the, what is the first thing that I find? I begin to find that, that yearning for God beginning to leave me, that longing for, for, the, for His presence. When I begin to feel the rawness leave me, When I begin to feel that yearning leave me, when I begin to feel the desperation leave me, that's when I know I'm beginning to gravitate and hold on to something else that is stealing that that desperation because something else is satisfying that. For a generation to get set free and get sobriety in our spirits, I want to tell you, if we get truth, God's not looking for us to get everything right in our life. You know what he's looking for? God, I'm jacked up and I need you. That's the state of the prayer movement. I'm jacked up and I need you. We need God. There's a revelation. We need Him, for real, not just in word, but with a life that cast ourselves upon the mercy of God. And the mercy of God is Him coming. Is Him giving revelation, of him breaking in with power. Am I making sense? The other issue that I'm just getting gripped over, and I know we're going for a little bit tonight, but guys, I I leave tomorrow, so I'm going to see you for a little bit. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah comes on the scene 40 years outside of a Babylonian invasion. The interesting thing is is that Jeremiah comes on the scene in Josiah's reign. Okay, Josiah's reign was probably the most mightiest revival and reforms in Jerusalem's history. There's revival going on. There's mighty great things going on in Jerusalem. Good things going on. Everybody's excited. Great things going on. And in the height of the revival, in the midst of all this revival, they're having all the prophets saying, look at the prosperity of the economy. Look at the spiritual prosperity of the land. Look at all the good things that are going. Look at all the high priest's bones are being burnt. Look at all the good things that are going on. But then they have a young prophet named Jeremiah Some dorky youth who comes upon the scene, he doesn't have, everybody doesn't know him, but he comes on the scene, he goes, I've heard from God, and God is saying that no, this is not an hour of peace, but it's an hour to where God is going to send judgment from the north, because you know why God's going to send judgment from the north, is because this has been a superficial revival, you've been putting your confidence in externals, but God is coming to judge because of the internal reality. God's looking at the hearts, He sees your hearts, and He's coming into the hearts. And it's because of your apostasy at the hearts. We have become such a professional nation at living on externals, of living on affirmations and on songs and da 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 da. We have lived so long on externals before you, comparing myself and and doctoring up all of my jacked upness, dealing with all of my issues so that I can look good to you. You like that word? It's a new word, jacked up in this. I'm going to talk to, I'm going to talk to Noah Webster and get it put in there. It just kind of encapsulates everything. Because I want to tell you, that's the fearful thing, is I want to get set free from externals. Externals are the manifestation of inward. The external is the manifestation of the internal. But when we lose the internal and the external continues, we then get deeper and deeper grounded into delusion. Am I making sense? Jeremiah comes on the scene and goes, uh-uh. God sees your hearts and he's coming after you. Jeremiah 23, verse 16, this is what Jeremiah comes on the scene. He says, say to those. Well, let's just turn there. Jeremiah 23. I'm gonna have you turn your Bibles. Are y'all hearing me? Live your life in me. Won't you come? Verse 16, here's the whole crux of the book. If you want a commentary, if you want the cliff notes of Jeremiah, it's Jeremiah 23, 16 through 24. Okay? We love the cliff notes, don't we? It's how I survived. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. In addition to the great revival, you have tons of prophets of the day who are shouting, Look at all these good things that are going on. Everything is great and everything is grand, but I want you to see those prophets from heaven's perspective. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, The Lord has said, You shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. Now look at verse 21. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. It's pretty self-explanatory. Jeremiah is saying these guys are making you worthless. You know what they're doing? They're settling you in your complacent lifestyle. And they're making you bold in it. They're making you confident that you can live in this way and ain't nothing going to happen. It's okay. It's okay. Jeremiah 7, he shows up on the scene and he indicts them because they say in their hearts, the Lord has delivered us to do these abominations. Sounds like the grace of God taken in vain. God is wanting to grip a generation right now. I know I just took you on a mighty tangent. That might have been the hammer blow to a lot of you as far as I can't take anymore. As far as the whole issue of drunkenness, but I'm telling you guys, we need a revival. And you know what revival is? me and God in agreement with where where I'm really at. (laughs) That's revival. You know that? That's revival. I know what you know, God. (laughs) And I need you for it. Let's have the worship team come up here. Worship team. Worship team. Oh, y'all don't want me singing, do you? Live your life in me. Won't you come? That's what we need. Let's stand. Guys, I, I don't want to ask anybody to talk because I believe the Lord wants to touch some hearts tonight. I know we're tired. I know we've got, got a lot of other things going on. But, guys, I want to tell you this is a time where you can meet with God. I don't want to live any longer in delusion. I want reality in God. I want raw reality in God. And I want to get desperate for His presence. Father, we ask you to send your spirit right now. Hey, hey, this youth over here. Y'all come here. These youth right here. Let me pray for you guys. Y'all come here. Well... (laughs) We need it too, you know. Y'all come over here. Let's pray for you guys. You guys got some calls on your life. I want to fight for you guys. You guys get a breakthrough. We get a breakthrough. You get encounter with God. You're made to encounter him, man. You're made to go there. Let's pray. All of us. God, I just ask you to come right now in this room. I thank you for these youth, God. I thank you for their calling on their life God I thank you for the leadership I don't want to just pray for these guys guys we're all jacked up and we all need God right now let's just all put our hands up okay let's all put our hands up and say God I need you we're not going to pray for the neighbor around the street we're going to pray for us and our families Father we ask you to come right now we ask you to send your spirit God We ask you to send your spirit, God. Upon every one of us in this room, God, we need revival, God. We need a revival, God. We need revival, God. Send the spirit, we pray, oh God. If these words be true, these words that I've spoken, God, these are the foundations to the church. These are the apostolic foundations. God, I pray, God, that you would send the spirit, bear witness bear witness God bear witness to the truth God I ask you right now to send fire upon our spirits we are weak but you knew it when you called us God in our own abilities we cannot do it oh God but we cast ourselves upon your mercy oh God help 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 oh God you who hear help you who see help Again, with power we pray oh God save us and our families visitation we pray for a realm of encounter let's just begin to sing in the spirit you singers just begin to lift this up we're going to begin to sing in the spirit we're going to fellowship with the Lord
1: Let's uh, turn the singers up uh, Oh, mind, who will I I want to invite you forward right now. If you need prayer, just come. Cast yourself upon the mercy of God. Send the fire, God. We are in need of God. No no sudama Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come, Holy Spirit, come. come, come. Oh we cry come Oh, Let's stay with this. this is good. We're fellowshipping with God. Before the throne. Shinda la borro La amante y sí, 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 sí. la marran de le borro de le borro la Solo bokor, kila baba baje dreniye. Una namanzuri. Solo bokor, kila bokor, kila bokor, kila bokor, kila bokor, kila la barra bokor, kila so, we are in need of your spirit We are in need of your spirit. We are in need of your spirit, oh God. We are in need of your spirit. We are in need of your spirit. We are in need of your spirit. We are in need of your spirit.
0: break in God we cry God we are in need of your spirit my life before your throne God I need more of God in my life I need more of you in my life God more of your presence oh God forgive me God for wasting my life on other things Forgive me, God, for sowing my life into other things.